So if you guys have been paying attention to the social landscape for the last 12 months or so, what we've noticed is a massive shift towards all the major social platforms creating more features and designing things specifically for creators and individuals. So even platforms like LinkedIn are starting to create dedicated features designed to empower the individual over brand and company pages. So we really wanted to get someone in who could speak to that, which is why the conversation you're about to hear is with Meredith Rojas, who's currently the Global Head of Entertainment and Creative Marketing at Logitech. Yeah, we had an amazing chat with Meredith. Meredith's been working in the space now since 2009, I think. So she's been there, seen it all since the YouTube boom, all the way through to the current day and thriving at Logitech. And I think one of the most interesting points that Meredith raised was the influence of creators now on having an impact on brands campaigns themselves and um, how important it is to actually work with creators to find that sweet spot rather than brands just telling creators what to create it's so obviously an advert that it then doesn't resonate so lots and lots of points to take away from this chat really hope you enjoy it So Meredith, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, as our listeners will know, every week we start off with our overarching question. And this week, that is, what do creators want from the brands they work with in 2021? So I think that creators want long-term partnerships. I think there's really, it's almost the same amount of work to do a short transactional brand deal as it is to do something that takes more time and energy. I mean, the setup, the back and forth, the copywriting, the messaging, the photo approvals for like a simple post to promote, you know, a product that that's a lot that goes into just like a one-off. Right. And it, it also is a pretty sterile process that doesn't extract from the creator, their sort of special sauce or the thing about them that maybe attracted the brand in the first place. So in my opinion, creators want to be seen. They want to be heard. They don't want to be just used and abused as an advertising channel. And, you know, a lot of brands have money and money is great and it's essential as a part of the package. But in order to really get the creators who maybe are in the highest demand, who can easily say no to a ton of different deals, it's about looking at them as a person and not a set of numbers. It's asking them their passion and their purpose in the world, and then seeing if one plus one can equal way more than two. So I think we've had some great success so far this year and last year in partnering with creators who we felt like, I don't know if it sounds cheesy to say kindred spirits, but like we, we kind of rallied around something together and it, and it was way more than a transaction. And so I think once a creator gets a taste of that, it's really hard They'll do it because, you know, they're making a living, but it's much more attractive to a creator than, say, a one-off tweet about an app or a one-off post about, you know, a certain product launch. Um, and that pulls them out of categories as well. No, definitely. I think influence is definitely not a new concept, but I've noticed this year especially the major social platforms um, are really starting to up their creator offering and they seem to be competing with each other on how to retain their creators, how to you know, incentivize them to post on their platform versus a competitor platform. But why do you think that seems to be really kicking off this year? And as a follow-up to that, which social platform do you think is actually doing the best at meeting creators' needs? 
It's a great question. I think that, you know, looking back at the multiple platforms that have sort of risen and dipped, in some cases fallen over the last decade through this like creator surge, one thing is for sure, which is nothing lasts forever. (laughs) And so, you know, we saw the YouTubers and the first sort of group of true influencers or creators in, you know, I would say 2008 and nine, there was sort of this thing called a YouTuber, not just people posting random clips on YouTube. And so that became a thing and it became essential to pop culture and people were curious about it, but brands would not really touch it with a 10 foot pole because it was still Mm. so strange and, and um, unwieldy and, and really unproven. But then as YouTubers started to like reign supreme, we saw Viners, right? And then Vine was like, everybody cared the most about that. And I wouldn't say YouTube, it didn't matter, but it wasn't the cool kid when Vine was on top. And then Vine literally closed its doors. So then the Viners were like, oh my gosh, the platform is done. How do I get my fans to another platform? Then there was Musical.ly. Musical.ly then became TikTok. So the thing is, is that it is dynamic. It is fluid. There's always going to be a new platform. And there's there's a very fickle sensibility with creators. And they play them off each other. Like, I talk to creators often, and they'll be like, oh, this new platform that's trying to create, uh, compete with that platform, yeah, they're paying me to be exclusive. But as soon as right. they stop paying me, I'm going to go back to that platform. So they'll play the platforms off one another. But, you know, one thing is for sure, today, TikTok is the party. Like that's where everyone wants to be. It's fun. It's energetic. And it's capturing, I think, everybody's attention. But it you have to stay on the cutting edge because if you're the place everyone wants to be because it's the most fun, awesome. But at the end of the day, they can't pay their rent with a good time. <laughs> you know, so like you need to also understand the needs of a creator, which are they want to monetize it. So Looking at TikTok, I think the benefit is that many creators have been able to grow more quickly on that platform than other platforms. And then ultimately, they could monetize the size of their audience through brand integrations. So that's great. They've also introduced other things that have become interesting to creators. But I think they still have a ways to go in terms of figuring out like really robust monetization tools to keep creators like feeling like they can make money on their content in that environment. Mm, Even LinkedIn and Twitter are adding like creator specific features, which I think is interesting. So Twitter uh, super followers came out recently, although it hasn't done as well as they expected it to, which is interesting because we talk about monetization and I guess sometimes that relies on whether or not people are willing to pay for subscription models. But yeah, LinkedIn seemed like a bit of a a rogue choice that they're always sort of last, I think, to jump on like social trends. But the fact that even they're putting more power on the individual as opposed to like brand pages, company pages. um, Yeah, it's definitely a noticeable shift. Absolutely. And and I think that's also a reason why the platforms are reacting and trying to dive into community management in a in a more impactful way and like serve their top-tier creators and empower the ones that are on the the come up so that they feel like they're a platform for them and that they're trying to put them at the center. So I think Meredith, the main takeout from that is that platforms have really are starting to adapt, right? They're looking at creators' needs and they're looking at ways to retain the creators on that platform. And I think 
brands are really starting to give creators more control in the paid partnerships themselves. But I guess my question is, giving them an input in the creative, is that enough? Or do we really, or do brands really need to start giving full control? You know, ultimately the creator knows their audience best, right? Surely they're the best people to create the creative for the campaign. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I often advocate for that in my own company. A lot of brand marketers will say that they they like that, right? Because it feels like you get it. <laughs> but in practice, it doesn't often happen because there's still a lot of like tape, red tape and like the need to control messaging and the, well, okay, but that feels risque or like, however, I would say that like, a lot of the stuff we've been doing recently has been with an eye toward culture marketing and focusing on the creator at the center and not specific to selling a product or a product launch. So we will start a conversation as we did with Lil Nas X before we signed him for our Super Bowl ad last year and our partnership that we sort of just finished. Uh, is what do you want to do? Like, what's interesting to you? What do you care about? Same with this actor, Noah Centineo, who's incredibly wonderful person and has a charity and is doing really impactful work. And we asked him, like, how can we support what you are already doing? Because ultimately, if we can find an opportunity to partner and to force multiply something you already care about, we don't need to outline 17 different social deliverables. Ultimately, you're going to shout from the rooftops about this program, about this experience, about this partnership, because you care about it and it's genuine. And then it's not a script that I'm sending you that you're going to cut and paste. So I found the greatest success doing that. Now, certainly with certain product marketing teams, you can't because you're restricted and your KPI is how many blah are you going to sell? When you're focused more on brand affinity, you're focused more on culture marketing, you can sort of double down on how their values align with your company's values, how the program can ultimately be something that, you know, is about an idea, not about a transaction or a sale. I just think it's so obvious. I don't know about you guys, but if you're like following an influencer, you know them pretty well, the way that they speak. And you can tell that the brand's tried to, you know, maybe given them a bit more authority over the actual image or like the video. But in the caption, it's just clear as day to me when a brand has handed them something to say. It's like a cut and paste sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to see more brands stop doing that. But yeah, I know what you mean, Meredith. It's like some things you're much more likely to be able to hand control over when you're talking about product launches brands are naturally a bit more protective about the exact messaging um, they want to say but I'm glad that you touched a little bit on what you guys are doing as well because I'm interested to know what Logitech is doing for creators in the way that you work with them and the way that you provide them with you know things to help them create their content things that you guys are doing that you think should be an industry standard and that you'd like to see other brands do more. On the one hand, I'd like to see more brands do it because I think it's good for creators. On the other hand, I'm like, no, this is what we're doing that's giving us an edge. So yeah, 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 fair. don't copy <laughs> us. But um, no, I think it's, you know, what we're doing and, and it has a little bit to do with a couple of factors. One, the culture at Logitech is one where they nurture and empower their 
team and their sort of marketing leaders and all the different folks there to, to think big. And so I come from starting my own business, working in the creator space, literally seeing it built from that YouTube moment that I talked about with the first YouTubers to TikTok and, and really being a part of booking with my company, all of these talent to put them on tour and festivals and helping, you know, whiteboard session with them on how they can grow and, you know, extend their brand. So I I have a unique perspective on the needs, wants, and desires of a creator. And so sort of pairing that with this wonderful latitude that I've been given within the company to play and be different is we've kind of set up this initiative where we're looking at entertainment programs and we're looking at putting the creator at the center and we're looking at really developing things that can travel because they're good, right? So like you're always sort of like bound by this hashtag ad sometimes when you're doing branded content. And if you pull the brand apart out of that, you're like, nah, I probably wouldn't watch that. (laughs) You know, whether you'd watch it with the brand or not. But like the point is, is like that might not be compelling content that you would see on TV or on Hulu or even on your favorite YouTube channel. It's just sort of screaming branded content, which we've seen some good ones over time, but in general, it is a commercial. So we've been tasked with how can we create compelling programs, both experiences, moments, talent partnerships, and uh, content that if we have a litmus test of it being just quality, compelling entertainment, we feel we can check that box. Mm. So um, one of the first things we did was we partnered with Noah Centineo, ahead of the presidential election in the U.S. last year. And he was really worried about Gen Z showing up to vote. And so we just were sort of talking about it. And I think a lot of times you don't see brands just having a conversation without a specific objective in mind. We were literally just like, tell me about you. Like, what do you care about? How can I support you? And so he then goes on and says, well, I'm really worried they're not going to vote. I think that, you know, I want to do something to use my platform for good and get awareness out that their voice counts. And so within three weeks, we built this pop-up sort of museum of ice cream for voting, voting education, which was nonpartisan. And he, we had all these best in class people build these sets that you could climb into and learn about sort of what's happening and some of the policies and what the implication is if you vote one way or the other. So for some people who, you know, of course you're influenced by social media and you're your peer group, but like this again was to educate and to say, learn and then decide and then take action. And so it was during COVID invited, you know, curated group of people to come experience it. And Noah walked everyone through this museum and this gallery. Kylie Jenner came, we had, you know, just an outpouring of support from celebrities and creators and just wonderfully unique people. And the New York Times wrote about it. We had BBC News cover it. Like there was just a lot of interest in this and it was called fuck this I'm voting (laughs) and um and Logitech was not like in your face it was actually very much in the background because we were deliberately trying to have a seat at the table during a very important cultural conversation and to to develop a longer term view of what would be important within Gen Z and creator culture and 
showing up and supporting without an agenda. We didn't have an agenda of, hey, you, Kylie, post about this. Because then she would have been like, pay me a gazillion dollars. There was no expectation. And she posted five times because it was done in a way that was respectful and it wasn't pushy and it was about an important cause and not about a transaction. No, definitely. We take it back to the beginning. You said that like you went and said to know, you know, what would you like to speak about? And I guess when it's the creator's idea that you're running with, that the brand can help develop, it's it's no wonder it gets so much organic interaction because it doesn't feel like, you know, Logitech is asking slash instructing you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but it'll be the actual creator's community that comes with that. And I think that would ring true for a lot of brands who might not be working with talent on, you know, Noah's level, but still taking that same sort of approach where you let them actually lead with their ideas rather than having a last minute input into one of your ideas. Yeah. And who's to say that a brand knows better than, this is sort of what you said in the beginning, like the creator knows their audience, right? And they, they are at the level of audience and engagement for a reason. People are listening to them. So it seems silly to not find out why. Like, why have they captured this and amassed this group of people who listen to them, who care about what they have to say? Their perspective might must carry some weight. And so you have a built-in creative director in the whole deal, right? And you're kind of, many brands just ignore that fact. They kind of say, your talent or your 3 million on Instagram and we'll put this here for that to go there to drive this clicks. And then they miss the point. So, so I think that's super important. And the other piece is like, how can we help people? You know, th- this audience, the creator economy, Gen Z in particular, like they really expect more from the brands that they buy from. And so it's not just about how good is the product. It's like, what do you stand for? And what are your values? And do you just, you know, change your icon for Pride Month to a rainbow flag and then and then change it back as soon as Pride Month is over? Yeah. Or, or do you actually walk the walk and, and do what you say you care about? And so for us, it's like we care about creators. We want to empower um, creativity and innovation. And when we were made aware of what was happening with like the black TikTok strike and many creators not getting credit where credit is due, um, we felt like, you know, if we could find the right opportunity, we could really help amplify and drive awareness. And we did in uh, a partnership with Jaqual Knight, who is the first commercial choreographer to copyright his moves. So he did Single Ladies and Megan Thee Stallion's Body uh, and developed this incredible methodology based on formal ballet scores to copyright popular choreography, which we then said, okay, can we identify with Jaquel 10 choreographers? And specifically, we wanted to focus on this first group of BIPOC creators. And we're like, can we pay for their their work to be copywritten? Um, And I would say more than half were creators from TikTok who, you know, some of whom their work was being merchandised on t-shirts and nobody was consulting with them. Nobody was asking permission and no one was paying them. So, you know, this was an opportunity when we sort of preach, we care about change, we care about creators. Well, great. You need to have action. And 
this audience really can like smell somebody from a million miles away. Like if they're just talking for the sake of hearing their own voice or if they really mean what they're saying. You're listening to the Social Minds podcast with Meredith Rojas. So far, we've covered which platform has built the strongest influencer offering, how brands are giving more campaign control to creators, and finally, the rising creators' importance now they know they're worth to brands. Still to come on this episode, we find out what regulations we can expect to see from creator partnerships, including cost consistency, and how to vet micro-influencers. And Meredith reveals the perfect time to collaborate with a creator when they're on the rise to fame. I usually come at things from a brand point of view. So I want to kind of take it back to the very start. You know, we've, we've got this campaign on the go and we've identified that we need our influencers, our creators. Now, typically that choice, you know, we're looking at, like I say, from the brand point of view, it was, I really like him, I really like her, she's great, he's great, let's make a list and let's contract them. Now, it feels to me that there's been like a little bit of a shift in recent times. I think that comes with, you know, creators starting to really understand their worth to brands and and what they can bring to the table. Now, what I'm wondering is whether that shift has been seen in the influencer landscape. So, you know, from a brand point of view, is there any pushbacks at all? Are influencers starting to um, wisen up on which brands they want to work with? Like you said, you just touched on there, you know, influencers really want to be a part of what the brand's all about and if like you say you know they're changing their profile picture their pride profile picture and not actually talking the talk do they want to be associated with those brands no i I think that there is a lot more accountability today than there was previously so that goes for the brand that goes for the creator like a lot of creators and i hate cancel culture i think it's completely toxic but regardless We've seen a lot of creators canceled for doing things that their audience considered to be not acceptable. And in many cases, they were right. Like the creators did some things, they made some poor choices. But I think now there is this expectation that if you're going to have an audience and a following, this is on the creator side, you're going to think before you post, you're going to you know, you're going to represent us and not act foolish and say things that are offensive. Like there's a real sense of empowerment with Gen Z of standing up for others, standing up for underrepresented groups, not having any sort of like, you know, there's this bully culture has almost evaporated. It's the opposite. Like if you say anything against a certain group, like you're the one that's going to be taken down. Now, on the brand side, brands are going to say that we don't tolerate X, Y, and Z. And that, and of course, every brand has like a lot of people on their communication side and, and really thinking about messaging and thinking about outward appearance. And so some of this can sometimes be sterile, can be manufactured. I think for certain brands, and I can say it with, you know, my my whole sort of gusto here, Logitech says things and does things. And that's why I've been so sort of excited to be a part of this company. Um, the values around diversity, equity, and inclusion and sustainability, like 
they aren't for show. Like they are truly things that we care about and we take action. Mm. And I think when it comes to creators, like they definitely, because of the heat they get from their audience, if they were to associate with a brand who say, didn't care about the environment or didn't stand up for underrepresented groups or did anything that was considered like, no, no, like they would get heat. Do you think that's their motivation, Meredith, that it's just like they're worried about what their audience would think of them? Or is there, so I'm thinking back to our first chat, you mentioned a website that creators can use with a curse word in it. I'll let you explain what that is, because I found that like an interesting indicator of the shift that Cal's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that website is called Fuck You, Pay Me. Um, But it's a glass door for creators. And it's a really cool company. I think everybody should be held accountable, right? I think it's created in an effort to share creator to creator their experience with working with brands. And I, I think that's fine. The the only caveat there is that not every creator is created equally, right? Every creator is sort of at a different stage of their process of the audience they've created, how, you know, how they've developed and their ability to, to drive audience and eyeballs. So if I'm a creator and I'm looking up, you know, your experience working with that brand, but you and I maybe have completely different sized audiences or appeal to different audiences, it might not exactly be a match, right? Like it might be helpful for me to learn how you liked or didn't like working with the brand, but your quote working with them might not apply to me and my profile. Now, I think creators care about working with brands that match their values. And it's not just about the heat they get from their audience, but it's also because I think creators are more in demand than ever, especially at this higher tier and they say no. I've, uh, you know, go back 10 years to when I started in this space, creators would almost never say no to a brand deal. It was like the holy grail. Everyone wanted a brand deal. And certainly still at the emerging tier level, that sentiment exists. But at that high tier, they just don't need it. So they need to feel it's like we're going on a date. They need to feel like we're a good match. Yeah, it's mutual. <laughs> it's like, Cal, you'll have loads of experience of this, just how picky what, brands can be. <laughs> <laughs> how picky brands can be when choosing creators they want to work with. But isn't it funny that the creator now can turn around and be like, oh no, it's a no from us. It'd be a slap in the face for the brands, but then I also think it'd be a wake up. You know, obviously, like you say, it needs to go hand in hand. And I think we're seeing that because creators can be more naturally it goes back to the first point you know in terms of generating that content or creating that content that aligns with the brand's values it would be a lot more natural you know if i were to promote something that i didn't believe in then i'd probably have to go down the copy and paste route which is not natural which is not going to get the performance and they're kind of like a knock-on effect there it's interesting that we are starting to see almost like kind of unofficial regulations. You know, we talk about that site where you've got creators talking about which brands they had um, positive experiences with. It's interesting because I've always referred to the influencer landscape as a little bit of a wild west. So my experience with brands, you know, we want to contract um, certain creators and influencers with different followings, different engagement, but there doesn't seem to be any, you know, regulations in place in terms of cost of posting engagement and naturally i know that's very hard to gauge but do you ever think we'll see consistent regulations and benchmarks you know in influencer marketing regarding 
a certain amount of engagement. Obviously, we've got KPIs. How does a brand know what's good value and what's not? So I've experienced it from all sides, right? So as a brand, working with a talent, seeing the performance, being overwhelmed and underwhelmed, and then from being on the, you know, my company that I built, Digitour, which we would actually um, work with brands and integrate them into our tours and our festivals. So we were sort of on the, the other side of the equation. So seeing the brand being overwhelmed and underwhelmed and trying to understand like, what is the benchmark? So I think for the start, right, like it's establishing the KPIs and being super honest, because I think there are certain creators who will oversell themselves or their representatives will, and they'll never get booked again by that brand. And then there'll be the creator who says, okay, well, what do you want to achieve or their representative? Well, we really need to get this kind of viewership on this piece of content we do together. We really love if we do a meet and greet to see 200 people show up or be really specific about like what would be success for you with my involvement. And if you can outline it, that creator will know if they can pull 200 people. They will know if they can drive a million views. So if they say yes and they know they can't, they're not going to get the job again. But if they say no, I can do this, so let's adjust the price so everyone feels good, they might get booked 17 more times and make so much more money than that one-off thing. So I think it's just about understanding and communicating between brand and talent. What are we trying to do? Can you do this? How can we compensate you fairly? How And most creators have rate cards and they're completely made up. It's just really, it's kind of like based on how much they're able to get someone to pay them. I've never seen something kind of similar, even if it's got the same following or the same engagement as someone else. No. It just varies so much and I find it fascinating. Yeah, so that's why it gets me hard to regulate it because first of all, there's a churn rate with creators, right? So like I would say it's about 30% per year. So you see people who come up, they'll continue to rise. There's the anomaly who can create a long-term career via social. And then you have the people who hit their ultimate sort of sparkly it girl or it boy moment that does not last forever unless they make some really good strategic moves at that peak. So because of this fluctuation, it's hard to say, like, you don't have the equivalent of an Angelina Jolie, right, who's going to be her and her rate for a movie is X. Even someone like an Angelina Jolie, I would expect over time, if her box office doesn't deliver the same that the last movie did, her sort of fee would go down. So it's really about performance. And if you can, like a Charlie D'Amelio, point to, hey, look at this Dunkin' Donuts campaign and look at what I was able to create. Okay, great. If we can recreate that, then we'll pay you what you got paid there plus a little bit more because we're coming in later. So there is a little rhyme and reason about that. But at the end of the day, it's simple and it's the same as in film and TV and, and music. It's based on performance. You want the big dollars. Yeah. You have to continue to perform and, and follow through. And it can't be a number you pull out of the air and say, this is what I get paid just because this is what I get paid. Absolutely. And I, and I guess that's a longevity thing as well, right? If you agree to something you know you can't achieve, like you say, you're, never, you're not going to get a repeat book in it. It would be wise to you know, obviously agree to something that you think you can achieve and therefore charge a fair rate for that. I think there's something to be said, you know, on going on a journey with creators from the very start. So 
we've seen examples, you know, of, of brands actually engaging with micro-influencers and since they engage, their following just shoots up and they instantly become, you know, a mega influencer, for example. If I'm a brand and I'm looking to engage in that, you know, micro-influencer level, how can I vet these influencers who have the potential to become mega creators and how do I get them on board? I guess it's a golden question before they really blow up. It's also a risk, right? Like, so many brands are risk adverse and they are like, okay, I'd prefer to pay a little more for Charlie D'Amelio because I know she can deliver results. Mm -hmm. If you have a little bit more appetite to be adventurous, you could say, look at these three people. They're trending upwards. They're at their inflection point. You'll save some money, but here's the gamble they might not deliver the same amount there. So do you pay the extra money as an insurance policy because your boss or your boss's boss is like, you need to deliver? Or do you take a gamble because if you're right, you're going to look like a genius? So like, I think that's kind of first and foremost. Now, as far as like figuring out and farming new talent and like having your finger on the pulse, this isn't something that, you know, is as simple as, finding somebody who's trending or that you read about in the news because that person's probably in the Charlie bucket, right? I think if you're not the person who's obsessed with social platforms, find someone on your team that is. Someone who's just like scrolling on TikTok because they literally love it. There's just an understanding of what's happening, right? Because like social media is social. So if you're in it, you join the social conversation and you see what people are talking about. You see the trends that are sort of coming out. You see people who are starting to be buzzed about. Like I remember when Charlie was one of those people. So like getting those tips through people in the space, through just obsessively watching and engaging and following the creators who are sort of the um, digital natives to those platforms, because you'll glean a lot from them. Like you'll know, okay, that person's collaborating with that person. Who is that person? That person's new. Where do they come from? Like, what's their deal? What's their story? There's also sites. Like, I don't know if you ever go to Famous Birthdays. Yes, seen that. Yeah, so Famous Birthdays is a really interesting resource. And I know that they, they're able to, because of the amount of people who are like going to that site every month, um, I think it's like 20 million or something. Um, they, they get so much data as far as who's being searched. So that's how they're able to sort of say, way before Addison Ray became Addison Ray, they were like, this person, Addison Ray, is getting searched like a, like a lot. And so that's like a, an early indicator that somebody is getting that momentum and maybe you should take a look. I bet that holds true for um, like Google Trends and I bet YouTube has similar like search reports like who yeah because if you see someone and you like you can see that they're kind of blowing up even, even as a regular user the first thing you do is like Google them. I think we have time for just one more question so I'm really keen to know Meredith. Do you think a brand can ever try and replicate the connection that a creator has with their audience because God knows they're trying <laughs> or do you think that is something that now I think we're going to have to completely defer to creators for and sort of find an audience through theirs. Yeah. Is it possible to get that sort of close connection? I think that it has been done like with a Supreme Nike in some regard, like there are brands that have this cult audience uh, people are obsessed with them and they are lifestyle brands that represent 
in many cases, like that defines their aesthetic or it's like driving their driving culture in some way. So looking at those examples, you know, it's about creating something that has the cool factor, right? And has the buy-in. Now, how can other brands that are not like Supreme, which is kind of a specific example, do that? Well, I think one thing I've noticed, at least from social, is it's really hard to feel an emotional connection with a company on social because it's not personal. You're not talking to Mm. a person. You're talking to a team of community managers, or at least you feel like that. It's a robot almost. It feels robotic versus I see your face. I hear your voice. I feel some connection. You're being vulnerable. You're sharing something that I feel as well. Like we can now be in the same tribe, like like like-mindedness. So the way I think that it can be cultivated is in two pieces, right? One is finding a way to personify the brand to give it true human emotion. Like how can you infuse human emotion into a brand and start to remove the sterile pieces? Because the people who follow brands, they might like that brand because they buy that brand, but they're not really engaged in the posts, which oftentimes you're looking at these posts and you're like, how does this brand with this many million of followers have this few people liking their post or commenting? People are not moved. They're not caring. So you can bring faces and you can bring stories and you can bring emotion into what you're posting beyond a product shot. I think you can start to bring life into your following and then then you start to get that. I don't think it will ever really be what it is at the peak of a Charlie D'Amelio, right? It's like if you loved a brand, but then you're like, okay, if I DM them, like, who am I talking to? Like, that's also yeah. kind of like, yeah. you have to ask yourself, like, who is this? Is this a CEO? Is this like an intern? Is this the look? Like, so if instead, like, in something that we've been trying to play with as well, as we're starting to launch Logitech for creators, a separate Logitech social account for the business group focused around creators is to bring the creator stories front and center. Also starting to think like, how can we take some of our creators and residents and create serialized content with them so that when people who are following it that are aspiring creators or interested in that, maybe Josh Richards or maybe Jaquel Knight or whomever is on that day doing a live or maybe they're posting and maybe you feel like, okay, I'm going to actually interact with the account today because I want to try to get in touch with this creator. I'm curious about them. I can't even get their attention on their account because it's too big. So here's an opportunity for us to kind of connect dots creator to creator. No, definitely take over something I think any brand can do as well. That's very sound advice. Um, and I think a great place to end it on. So Meredith, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you. This is so fun. So lots to take away from that episode. I don't know about you, Carl, but what really stood out to me is the fact that we're seeing creators actually now demand just as much, if not more, from brands as we're used to seeing brands ask of the creators that they want to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it struck me just how much the tables have turned, really. Um, you know, you've got 
influence. I can't believe that site that she mentioned. You've got influencers. You exactly. You've got influencers <laughs> now talking about brands and whether to work with brands when, mm. as she mentioned, you know, it used to be the other way around. They just used to jump at every opportunity. Mm. And the way that industry has changed, whereby now it's a pick and choose and making sure that the brand aligns. I just find that so fascinating. Because mm. it's not just like they'll be asking each other, you know, what have you been paid for this campaign? How much should I ask? They really know their worth. So it's not just in terms of salary, but it's, no, I don't want to work with this brand. I'd actually think uh, it'll work better on this platform. And they have so much agency. But as you sort of touched on there, working on the brand side of things, when you get creators at all different levels coming to you with these demands, how do you regulate that? How do you vet them? Um, so it's really interesting to hear Meredith's thoughts. Obviously, Logitech is massively on the side of the creator but there is another side to this story and that is I guess how much agency can you afford to give them and as Meredith rightly pointed out it completely depends on the level they're at in like their what, she, what did you call it an inflection period yeah. uh, on the way to stardom. I think one of my main takeouts as well actually a really really useful piece of advice was the famous birthdays Yeah, and that's something that I hope you know our listeners can take away and, and potentially find some value in yeah it's just something I'd never really thought of before obviously like you said you know you've got your uh, ads and your google trends etc um but yeah just a really unique way of kind of gauging whether somebody's on the rise and and really finding um or trying to find those micro influencers who are going to be the mega creators and the ones that in theory if you've not got the biggest budgets to play with that's where you should be playing mm, that's it as well i think an important lesson uh, for our listeners to take away obviously Meredith was citing some pretty top talent in that episode <laughs> but hopefully uh, a lot of the lessons that you can bring across to fit whatever budget it is that you're working with Eve is big on TikTok she does like <laughs> scrolling a lot I have got so, 1500 followers now <laughs> so she's available for brand campaigns and we'll put that out there I'm not sure on the rates but you know I know get in the DMs and we'll see I'll do it for a fiver <laughs> thank you for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did, please remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps and means we can bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Eve Young, Callum McLeod, and produced by Mike Pixton.